everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies with you all. We're going to be dreaming a little bit this time. Dreams in the witch house, that is. Before we get there, though, we got some things to get to. Namely, our green hits. Because I need to get a little bit more stoned than I've been. I had to be a little bit more coherent during the last podcast I was recording. So it's time to get a little bit less coherent for this one. Danny... What can you tell me about this strain you brought me today? Right. I want to know everything. All right. So what you're going to get today is the fact that I did happen to stop by the friendly folks over at Flower, and I picked up the six-pack of Cubert, which this is the info that you're going to get on this. is It's an Indica. Don't know its lineage. If you do any kind of search, Google, DuckDuckGo, whatever, good luck. <laughs> but this one does come in right at 28 and about a third percent THC over at Flower. But I did let you sample a cart I picked up over at Groove here in town. So with that being said, I can give you a little info on that if you're curious. Oh, hell yeah. All right. So I picked up some blueberry muffin. It is an Indica. With that being said, the benefits of this is you'll feel creative, relaxed, and focused. The notes are berry, earthy, and vanilla, and the terps are caryophyllene, limonene, and humulene. And this cart comes in right around uh, 82, almost 83%, roughly. So, you know, not too bad. Pretty decent. So it's something different, you know, new place in town. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's that. Let's see. Today, I brought you a J of some very berry. berry. From Top Shelf. Now, when I look it up, what I tend to find more information on is Very Berry Haze. I don't know if it's the same thing or not. I'm going to guess it is, to be honest, <laughs> because I don't know why you would name one thing very... I mean, I guess they do it all the time, but like Very Berry Haze seems to me like it would be Very Berry crossed with Super Silver Haze, right? But Very Berry Haze is Strawberry Cough mixed with Super Silver Haze, which is why I think Very Berry and Very Berry Haze are probably the same thing. Yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, it's Very Berry. It's going to be fruitier, almost a pure sativa. And so you're just going to you're going to get that active mind going. I like it. <laughs> it, says, uh, maybe it says maybe a little bit of an active body, but like you're going to be sitting here anyway. We ain't going to be running around and doing shit. We, we're going to be sitting here talking about a horror movie. So there you go, some very berry, top shelf, coming in. That's what I got. Nice. And to go along with that, remind everybody to go check out the Patreon, www.patreon.com slash fried squirms. At even a dollar a month, you could have been listening to this last week. Guess what? Two weeks ago, it would have made the Valentine's Day episode make more sense. A lot more sense. Because <laughs> you would have got it before Valentine's Day instead of after as the rest of you will get it. Uh, anyway, that being said, oh, I mean, and if you go up to the highest level, we got the Discord, we got other things coming up, coming up very soon. Yes, we do. But we will talk a little bit more about that next week and maybe hint at it at the end of this episode. For now, I think we should get into the guts and bolts of H.P. Lovecraft's Dreams in the Witch House. Guts and Bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went in the making of this flick? Spoiler free. This flick being 
H.P. Lovecraft Streams of the Witch House is directed by Stuart Gordon from Showtime's Master of Horror series. Start off, spoiler-free setup for the flick. A young college student rents a room at an old house that has some rather unique architecture as well as a rodent problem. And, like, that means things go bad. It makes more sense when you watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially if you're not familiar with the story as well. So we'll tell you all about that in the next section. But, of course, from week to week, we like to talk about the cast and the crew of the film, or in this case, the episode that we're reviewing. You've already mentioned that our director is Stuart Gordon. Now, of course, this is a gentleman we've talked about several times, so he's no stranger to the show. But for those who don't know... We actually talked about Stuart a number of times, once being on our very first episode when we reviewed Reanimator. Once again, we talked about him on episode 84 when we reviewed Dagon. And we also talked about him on episode 156 for From Beyond. Now, a few other things of note. We mentioned on one of our older episodes, he had some controversy around a play that he performed at the university. Oh, right. Yeah, at Wisconsin and Madison. And actually, a little bit more, it was called The Game Show, but it was about kind of like using Peter Pan as a satire or a play on like a protest on the Vietnam War and things of that nature. So anyway, got into some hot water. But aside from some of the films I've already mentioned, a few of the other things of note are the films Dolls from 1987. We've talked about it several times, but he was one of the writers on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's also responsible for The Pit and the Pendulum from 1991. I went and actually watched this film. We had Charlie on back, let's see, when we did Jason Part 6. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Jason Lives. Anywho, she hosts a series over at the Roxy. You know, it's called, like, Trash Cinema, but... The film that they did that night was Castle Freak uh, back in 95. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, King of Ants in a 2007 film called Stuck did a couple things for television. One of another things that they did were, uh, or that he did was Fear Itself. The episode was Eater, which I've already mentioned, and you have too before in the past, that that was like a, a third season of Masters of Horror, but it was for NBC and it changes its name because right. of that. So, anywho. Moving forward, we have writers, several of them, but we've already talked about the fact that this is based off of H.P. Lovecraft's short story. Stuart Gordon did help write this. Now, he's got several writing credits to his name as, as well. And uh, Dennis Paoli, another gentleman we've talked about before on the episodes I've already mentioned, Reanimator, Dagon, From Beyond, and also episode 166 for The Dentist. Oh, Right. Yeah, which makes sense, you know. Which, that was a Usna directed. Exactly. So, I mean, all these guys are in the same circle. Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna, Dennis Pioli. It makes sense. All right, our cinematographer on this is John Joffin. He helped on the X-Files television series from 96 through 1997. He's also responsible for the film It Waits. He actually helped on 10 episodes of Masters of Horror which is really neat. Uh, None of the ones we've reviewed up until this point, (laughs) interestingly enough. That's funny. All right. He's also responsible for the show Motherland, Fort Salem from 2020. I think that's a Hulu series. And more recently, Big Sky from 2021. No shit. Yeah. All right. Our editor on this is actually a guy we talked about more recently, Marshall Harvey. He was the editor for Lake Placid, a film reviewed on episode 244. 
Now, a few things of note outside, of course, of Lake Placid. We talked about the fact that he's responsible for 1982's The Sword and the Sorcerer, which is really interesting. 1989's The Burbs. 1990's Drop Dead Fred. 1993's Matinee, which I believe is... Oh, man, I almost want to say it might be on Shutter or Wait. one of these streaming services. Hashtag Team Fred. Oh, 100%. <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah, man. Come on, dude. But how about, fuck y'all on Team Sanity. How about this one? Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood from 1996. Mm. Uh, Big Bully. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, we keep bringing this film up. Uh, Big Bully. Mm, okay. You know, one episode of The Crick, Dawson's Crick, that is. It was actually the pilot episode. No shit. That's yeah. neat. Small Soldiers from 98. This is really oh, interesting. I actually really dig that movie. Uh, 2004 is Riding the Bullet, which is a Stephen King adaptation, which stars David Arquette. I haven't seen it, but I'm really curious about it. Yeah, seven episodes of Masters of Horror. Once again, none of the episodes we've already viewed up to this point. A few episodes of Fear Itself, Dr. Doolittle, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Yeah, all kinds of neat shit, man. So, yeah, good on him. Anyhow, another gentleman we've talked about several times before, and that is Richard Band, because he composed the music for this episode. We talked about him on the episodes Reanimator, From Beyond, and Bride of Reanimator, which is another Brian Eusner film. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, his brother is Charles Band, who runs the whole Full Moon Pictures. Oh, okay. Which is like yeah, the yeah. puppet masters and all that stuff. So if you look throughout his catalog, you're going to see a bunch mm-hmm. of those films, which is really neat. So uh, neat to see him on this. All right, special effects teams were Anthem Visual Effects and KNB. Uh, another familiar okay. name, right? FX Group. They helped with the makeup on this. This was produced by Lisa Richardson and Tom Rowe. Production companies were IDT Entertainment, Industry Entertainment, and Nice Guy Productions, along with Reunion Pictures. This premiered on November 4th, 2005 on Showtime here in the United States. Now, they premiered those episodes Friday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. A little bit of trivia. All right, so moving into our cast. Gentlemen, we've actually talked about before. This is Ezra Godden. He plays the role of Walter Gilman. We talked about him back on episode 84 for the movie Dagon. Dagon. Yeah, another Stuart Gordon film we've just mentioned. He was also part of the Band of Brothers television series back in 2001. He was in the short film Future Self, and more recently he was in a film entitled Soul Reaper. All right, we have Campbell Lane. He plays the role of Mazarvitz. A few things of note from Mr. Campbell is... First off, he's Canadian, which which it makes sense when you start seeing a lot of these these roles and like these associations. But he was a part of a couple of episodes of the X Files, which include Tunguska and Terma, the Kalasari, uh, the Miracle Man, which is really cool. He was a part of Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. He played Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Um, it's okay. kind of neat. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, looks like he did. A lot of voice roles, some stuff for Beast Wars, X-Men, where he was like Mastermind, Professor Thornton. He was a, this is really cool. He was a narrator in Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. Oh, shit. Yeah, took over for Don LaFontaine in 2002. What the hell? (laughs) That's really cool. So I've heard his voice a lot. I think we both have and just now realizing it. (laughs) That's really cool. All right. Another gentleman we have here is Jay Brazo. He plays the role of Mr. Dombrowski. He's like pretty much the guy who runs the old place, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So with that being said, a few things to note from him. Some pretty cool stuff, actually. He was in the film We're No Angels from 1989. He was in Cool Runnings as Cryocheck. Yeah. Yeah, from 93. He was in the film Andre from 94. He was in Little Women, 1994. I remember Andre. Yeah, how about this slam dunk Ernest? <laughs> I didn't forget about Dre. That is pretty funny, yeah. How about Air Bud from 1997? Disturbing Behavior from 1998. He was also in Air Bud, Golden Receiver. So say, I think he actually, like... <clears throat> wow. I think pretty he much appears all in almost Air Bud. all the Air Buds. What the hell? Snow Dogs, another one of those. The Perfect Score is actually a pretty decent film. I don't know if you've ever seen that. House of the Dead from 2003, really cool. Watchmen from 2009... Horns 2013, that's a pretty cool one. Well, yeah, he's been in a bunch of televisions as well, so neat to see him in there. All right, and last but not least, I have Sheila Horstel. She's another Canadian actress. A lot of people might recognize her because of her regular roles in the television series Hell on Wheels. She was also part of When Calls the Heart and The Man in the High Castle. That's another one of those series I still need to watch, right? I've actually read the novel. All right. She also had recurring roles on Stargate SG-1, Level Up, Arrow, and Star Trek Discovery. And for her roles in the films Aliens vs. Predator Requiem and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. All right. So that pretty much rounds out our cast and our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis of what this film entails. Uh, We should give you some warnings heading to the next section. I mean, we've already said a witch house. It's it's witch house, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So so like a witch is involved. Familiars, that sort of thing. It's Lovecraft, so like weird interdimensional shit, and there's nudity. Yes, some blood. There's some a little bit of stuff complied yeah, with yeah. children. Oh, that's right. Yeah, do we yeah. have to mention that you violence know? against children? Yeah, there is some blood. Nothing more. on screen that you see, but you know, mm-hmm. y- you get the idea. Very quick blood and gore, but right, there, it right, is right. there. It is there. Yeah, it really is, but it's, you know, it's, it's through the technique of editing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's about it, right? I think so. Dreams in the Witch House? Yeah, if we miss anything, we'll tell you in the next section. All right, I let's go dream and, you know, find out how Dreams in the Witch House made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, Dreams in the Witch House. I've never seen it before. I never actually went through any of the Masters of Horror. So anytime we do one of these episodes, it's something new for me. So yay, like I was super excited for another Stuart Gordon Lovecraft adaptation. But uh, you've seen this one, right? I've seen this one, not, I mean, not like a ton, but I've probably seen it up to this point, uh, like three or four times. Okay. Yeah, roughly. Unfortunately, I I meant to reread the story, and I only got about halfway through it because I did not I give did myself same, enough dude. time. <laughs> I did the same. I was like, we're we're recording on a slightly different day than normal, and I just fucked up my schedule. Yeah, and, and that's okay. I mean, stuff happens, but we we both have the general idea about the whole story. Well, here's the. I mean, yeah, I've never seen this movie before. I've probably read the story three or four times. Honestly, probably more than that because. It was one of the ones in the first Lovecraft collection I ever owned, so nice. I have probably actually read it, oh God, probably upwards of 10 times, wow, but man. not as many times as a couple of the other stories in that collection. Um, it was never my favorite. It's not his best. No, it's 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 a decent story, but yeah. I liked it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of what you expect. Like, it's 
definitely Stuart Gordon. It's not as, I won't say crazy, but you know, not as maybe as it's not as over the top, right? That's kind of what I want to get at, like with the Reanimator and from Beyond and all the others. It's a little bit more tame in that regard. And I have to imagine it's because they were working with a TV, TV budget. Come on, yeah, exactly. Because that's and it's shot in Canada on top of it, so you know it's not as big of a budget, and that's okay. One location. It's a decent adaptation. Yeah. There's a big chunk in the middle that's a decent, a bit different. But I have to imagine that it's mostly different for time and budget reasons. Makes sense. Total sense. I, we've, I mean, we've watched From Beyond. We know that it's not afraid to go like weird <laughs> yeah. Lovecraft shit, over-the-top Lovecraft shit. It's just that doing the actual middle of that short <laughs> story would be pretty fucking expensive Man. when he starts going on all the fucking dream journeys. I'd be dope, but yeah, you're right. There's no way. So this is a kind of a simplified, honestly, I kind of felt like dumbed down, Christianized version. Yeah, it's kind of like the cliff notes. Right? <laughs> you, know? you get the story if you read it, or if you watch this. Yeah, exactly. You but get you're the, missing uh, a big, like, colorful chunk of that, the middle of the story. Yeah, like you said, it's an, an abridged version of it. Also, I man, I don't know. Like, like, let's just get into it. I yeah, guess. Yeah, like, I'm cool with that. This is maybe the least Lovecraft of the Stuart Gordon-related Lovecraft things we've seen so far, because they don't even bother to try to show Narlathotep. Not at all. Which honestly still would have been interpreted by many people to be just the devil. That's a solid point. I was reading. But they just well. kind of put it on her fucking witchcraft. Instead of outer <laughs> gods, which is kind of why the the weird geometries works in the first place. If you're if you're talking Lovecraft shit, yeah, exactly. I mean, it fits in that mythos. But also, like, he gets laid, and like that's yeah. what keeps him around, and not just being curious. And like Lovecraft protagonists don't get laid. Better boy does this time. So, I mean, that wasn't good for him. But no, but you know, <laughs> at least he got laid. <laughs> for whatever that's worth mm -hmm. and well I guess I guess in the story I think he does choke her out so I was about to say fucking Lovecraft <laughs> protagonists don't like commit violence either but they yeah. occasionally do it's just not often anyway what to say about it like what it's kind of simple I like the setup already kind of got to a lot of it I guess I mean this but. definitely helps for people who aren't familiar with either like yeah. The episode or the short story that it's based upon, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, we can keep it simple. This story, in terms of the Masters of Horror story, is a grad student rents a room because, you know, he's looking for a cheap room where he can do studies. It's quiet, right? Ever. You could tell it's it's old. It's almost looks like a boarding home. Mm -hmm. There's a, an older guy that lives downstairs. He seems a little off. And then there is a single mother who apparently is living on welfare and mm -hmm. she's behind rent and all that stuff. So, you know, there's some stuff going on with the people itself, let alone the home, right? And so we learn that he's studying string theory, right, for like quantum physics and all that fun stuff, multiple universe theory, all that fun stuff. He makes mention of it. That's where it says it helps with what you're talking about with what's considered non-Euclidean geometry, mm -hmm. which is – the non like perfect, if you were perfect dimensional planes, you know, like squares and triangles, it's like, no, these are different angles colliding. And in this case, it's like, oh, these are membranes, 
that are intersecting and that opens up possibly like portals if you will or higher dimensions to different planets or <laughs> all kinds of stuff and the idea in the story is it does pertain into the witchcraft yes is the idea is supposed to kind of be that like the different runes and sigils and different things yeah. sort of mimic these intersections and that's how people did magic back in the day is it's not actually magic it's quantum physics opening yeah. fucking rifts into different dimensions it's like yep skeet we out eat mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean that's basically what it is and he he learns that just by cracking open a book and then looking at the walls you know and the i guess the ceiling of course and the room that he's in so he's like i'll be damned <laughs> yeah he well he gets in this room and it's fucked up right it doesn't look good <laughs> you know it doesn't look good none of it looks good so it's already made mention that this is an old home, at least, what, close to 300 years old? Mm-hmm. Okay. That tells you something. We already know stuff about the setting. Even though it doesn't say it, I'm already assuming it's Arkham. It's Arkham. Okay. Which, at some because point... Because he's a student at Miskatonic Which, yeah, of course. So, it's already been alluded. I think we've talked about this before, too, that Arkham is kind of... I don't know. You could say it's kind of like a, a double or cover. Sometimes... I guess you could say maybe sometimes for Providence, but mostly Salem. Yeah, either or. Although both Providence and Salem also exist in the Lovecraft. Yeah, universe, so I mean, it's like depends, I guess, on the on the way it's being told. I agree with you, though. Like it's pretty much just those towns. He just needed more towns to fucking use. Yeah, and it's like okay, I I, I get that. So, Cities, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all inspirational, but anywho, I guess in this dude case, loved him some Rhode Island. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's where and he's from. if not Rhode Island, the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, like I said, it's it's what he knows. It's what he's familiar with, so it makes sense. And but I think in this case, it would make sense that he would set this in Salem if that yeah. was the case with Arkham. Regardless, we learn that there's some strange shit going on because there's a rat that is in. The next door, like the lady we already mentioned, her name, which is interesting. This is like a goes back into the story, uh, the short story that is. So her name was what Fran Francis Elwood, mm-hmm. but the character in the story is actually a student, who happens, Frank Elwood, right? Who happens to be like renting a room too in the old home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he like every time he goes to get help from Walter, Walter happens to be gone. So, I mean, I guess that's like his little... Under- so he's not like fucking Walter. <laughs> he doesn't have a kid. No. No, no, I'm just fucking around. But that's the difference. That's like the major difference Yeah, yeah. in those characters. Because like I said, most of the time, Lovecraft... I don't know if Lovecraft protagonists ever fuck. They might. Maybe, but I'm not familiar with any of them. Right I've read them head. all. I should know this. I don't remember. I don't think yeah. so, though. Now, I'm trying to think. I was like, Ezra Godden, his character... I mean, his character has been getting laid and yeah, everything well, we've he gets seen some him in. Yeah, right? I was like, yeah. yeah, he's got two chicks fighting over him. <laughs> so good on him. <laughs> Anywho, what that leads to, like, because of that rat, the guy downstairs asks Ezra, he asks him, you know, did he have a face? Because, like, what? Yeah, because yeah, he's also, like, complaining to uh, Mr. Dombrowski. He's like, hey, dude, you got rats in the fucking place. You need to call an exterminator or something. You got rats in the walls. Yeah, I was like, dude, come on. Yeah, yeah got them. <laughs> yeah, for those who know, right? Right, so anyhow, this leads to like all these series of events that, that 
lead to these weird dreams that happen. He starts to, I guess he starts to see the the rat at some point, right? Mm -hmm. With the face. He thinks the old guy like implants the memory. Look, okay. I I got to interrupt because now that you bring up the rat with the face, I got to say one of the the, the biggest fucking problems with this adaptation is we never learn that people call him Brown Jenkins. Yeah. Which is interesting because that leads back to the same thing with the witch. They never mention her by name. Right, uh, Kaziah Mason. Right. Which in the story, it's huge because of the way that Walter even wants to rent the house in the first place. Right. Like, okay, so in the story, like most Lovecraft protagonists, he's just curious. And in this case, Walter's whole deal is he super digs on quantum physics and... He already kind of liked the occult, and during his first semester studying quantum physics, he started noticing similarities, Mm -hmm. and so basically started to double major in quantum physics and folklore. And so he seeks out this house because Keziah Mason lived there, and he actually takes time to, like, make sure that this room was hers and, like... Yeah, where she was doing the magic and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, and he learned some things about her that involves mathematics we've already mentioned earlier and yeah it's like oh okay that's interesting then she got like just she disappeared during the witch trials yeah don't know what happened to her that leads to the allure the people kept seeing brown jenkins yeah 11 people reported seeing him during those trials right yeah yeah brown the closest we get to that in this is when you see like the old woodcut and you get the little yeah that's a solid point now that being said I don't know why, but kind of fuck Brown Jenkins in this movie. But, like, I didn't like seeing him. No. And that... It's not the worst thing I've ever no, seen. No, but no, I'm no. just like, I saw him and I was like, ooh, ooh, I don't know. I don't like this. Like, why am I seeing this rat with a human face? I know. I mean, they do a good job of at least interpreting it, you know, mm-hmm. make you feel uneasy watching it. Give them credit there, man. Not bad. Ooh, yeah, did not like... Yeah, um, here's something, too. I was listening to somebody make mention of this, and I thought this was interesting. I said, in this particular story, too, not in the screen adaptation, but the mm-hmm. short story itself, it's kind of told in a third-person narrative, right? And, like, you've already talked about with protagonists and whatnot. It's usually told from their perspective in his stories. So you don't know exactly what's going to happen to the protagonist. Right. In this story. Which is interesting, you know, you're just kind of led along the story. And another point I want to make with that is the fact, you can make the case for it too, if you're not wanting to, to, you know, go down this road. But that character, Walter himself, is, like you said, he's curious about folklore and all the mystery behind all this stuff and physics and all this other interesting stuff. But he's an unbeliever in terms of the fact, like, this shit actually exists. It's actually, you know, it's real but he's still skeptical. He thinks that she was onto something and that you might be able to, you know, cross to different dimensions right. by doing this, but he doesn't think about what that means. Right. He's like, just he doesn't looking at think it very about, simplistic. Like, what's on the other side. Right. He's thinking about, oh, this is possible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the very simple theoretical side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the whole thought experiment side, not. The big bad picture, like, you're opening up some shit you should not be opening up, bro. <laughs> this is Lovecraft we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, and what I do like about this story, just a little bit that I was reading about it, 
is the way that Walter, because in, in that story, he's kind of going through like a breakdown, you know? Right. Well, because like the, the nightmares keep getting worse yeah. and worse. And, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't know how to, to explain it or tell it mm-hmm. to people. And, you know, he's so focused on certain parts of his studies where he's lacking in other things. So he's like having to juggle his studies and his dreams and all this other wild shit that's going on inside the house. So I do like that where it's tinkering with that. And the fact too, that, you know, the witch and Brown Jenkins visit him and they take him on these journeys and shit, make him, oh, to make him, but they introduce him to another character that they never mentioned in this. Yeah. You know, which is really cool. And oh, there's a good old Nerlitho tap. Yeah, there's a cult as well. <laughs> so there's all kinds of cool shit. Yeah, I mean, in the story, he goes. I mean, he goes to a city of the elder things, and even brings back some that <laughs> like <fuck? laughs> cements to himself at least that like he's doing this for real, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he still does. I was, I was impressed that they actually did do like from the story where. He thinks he's sleepwalking and puts the flower on right. the floor and like. In in terms of that, they're incorporating the stuff that would make sense, and they can still like, okay, we could still make sense of it, even though that's not necessarily how he was using it. I just don't get like they leaned real hard into the witch angle. Why not have Neurolithotep? I know, I know, because he's presented as basically looking like Satan, but black instead of red. Right, and that. Who knows what studio stuff, mm-hmm. television stuff? Who knows? Who knows? Like he's supposed to have hooves. I know, dude. It would have been boss, but like you said, it could have been mm-hmm. monetary. It could have been time restrictions. It could have been a number of things. I'm, I, I don't know. I hate to speculate, but who knows? It, what could have been? I guess at the end of this, once we get through talking about this, there's a little bit of trivia, which probably lends a little bit more of a hand to this as well. But anyway. Getting to like that non-believer side, there's a part where Mazarvitz, the guy downstairs, is te- trying to tell Walter a little bit of a background story, like how long he's been there, and he understands, mm-hmm. you know, and he's giving this expo about the, about the house a little bit. He's not telling him everything, but he's trying to offer him a crucifix as protection, and he's like, nah, I don't need that shit, you know. But at some point, because he's had that encounter with Fran, she invites him over for tea because he has a nightmare, you know, mm-hmm. and he's kind of explaining certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he offers her some money because it looks like, you know, she can't afford to stay. And she, anyway. And she's got a little baby. Yeah, she's a single mom. You know, she's not a bad looker. She's a little bit on her, down on her luck, you know. So anyway, what this, what this amounts to is he loans her some money. At a certain point, she gets a job interview and she's like, hey, can you watch baby Danny? Not me, but <laughs> her baby, Danny. And he's like, sure, why not? You know, I can grade papers, whatever the fuck he was doing, right? And he winds up nodding off. And while he's nodding off, he dreams of Fran. And she's naked. That's where the naked part comes in. And it turns sexy. And he puts her on the bed. And it turns real non-sexy. Yeah, it turns really non-sexy when you start seeing the, like, I don't know, like, wounds and stuff on the body. Like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> And then the witch is like digging her claws. Well, mm-hmm. claws her fingernails, but it's her claws. She's making a pentagram on his back. She's tearing into his flesh doing that shit. Interestingly, not just a pentagram, especially because she didn't circle it. What she did draw, its actual proportions and how it was 
I think uh, a lot of people would think that it's just because of the angles, mm-hmm. like that she was ripping it into her flesh, his flesh, at, and not being able to see 100% what she's doing. But how it was kind of offset the way it was, it's actually the way that one of the Elder Signs is described. Oh, no shit. That's really cool. That's probably where those those guys we've already mentioned, like Gordon and Pioli and all those guys, probably they know the story and they're probably interjecting a little bit of stuff, yeah, that they can into it, you know what I mean? That's really cool. Uh, and that would make sense. It makes perfect, mm-hmm. perfect sense. That's like like somebody added on a little bit to like the Star Trek logo. Yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. For those, yeah, check it out. But that makes sense too. It makes perfect sense, you know? Both angles, you look at it. All right, so... He freaks out. He wakes up. He wakes up in his room, right? And he's like coming to, and then he starts to hear the baby cry. And it's like, oh, good. I'm safe. Yeah. Here's the baby cry. Like, oh, oh shit. I'm not supposed no. to be in my room. Yeah. Oh, whoopsie daisy. Yeah. And he tries to bust back in the room. Of course, Fran shows back up. And you know what? I had, okay. It wasn't as serious as like hearing a baby cry. But I will say, I had an experience very similar one time back in college. Damn. I went out heavy fucking drinking with some buddies. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I was already heavy drinking with some buddies, and then some other friends stopped by and dragged me to a party. And I remember going to the party. I remember puking on my arm, oh, <laughs> cleaning it up, leaving the party, and then I blacked out. Mm. And then I woke up in my dorm room bed, all nice and safe and snug as a rug. And I turned and I saw my keys exactly where I had left them the night before, meaning I didn't have them with me, meaning I didn't know how I got back in the building. Like, what the hell just happened? And I'm like, how did I get in the building? I should have been locked out. Oh, God, I have to go find out what happened. I hope I didn't break in. I know you're saying. <laughs> now you have to retrace your steps. Like, oh, no. <laughs> like, there is a good chance I broke into the building. Yeah, oh, how God. bad is it? <laughs> yeah, what is the degree? The Apparently, oh. I got uh, attention of a couple of my buddies, and they, they managed to yeah, let me in. That's but, cool. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. In those moments, you don't know the, the brevity or, like, the severity of what could be. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when he had that happen, I was like, oh, I can kind of relate. Except, thankfully, it wasn't, like, a baby crying from a fucking oh locked room. God, that damn, I that would be horrifying, wouldn't it, you know? <laughs> no, so they they have their, like, you know, their little outs or whatever. At some point, too, this is, I guess, when he's back dreaming and all that stuff, he has that encounter with the witch and the rat. And they're trying to make him sign his name. Right, yeah. You know. That's another thing, like, I already mentioned we don't have Neuralithotep who right, should have but been that's in something that scene. That but also, I kind of like in the story how it's implied that they're dragging him there often and trying to get him to sign. And apparently he's been turning it down most of the time, or he's not enough in the dream world to be able to sign until a certain time later in the story. Or yeah, It's kind of vague, but I thought it's kind of neat that it's something that happens more than once in the story. And you don't know why? Huh. I, I do like that, too, like some of the ambiguity. It's like, ah, we don't necessarily need a reason. Sometimes it's just like to fuck with you. <laughs> Why not? Because we can. <laughs> but I do like that. Like, 
Like I said, the rat bites his fucking hand, draws blood. It's pretty gnarly. Ooh, also didn't like that. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. He wakes up. He's in like some room in the library at Miskatonic University where he, he's not supposed to be. And he happens to be in possession of the book, uh, the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. The lady met, makes mention of that because he's still in his underwear and stuff. He doesn't know how he got there. There was a second where I was really hoping. I'm like, I know it's the Necronomicon, but I really hope that they're going to go like deep cut and pull one of the other fucking books from the the story. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? God, I can't remember their names. In Osprechen Colton or something, and yeah, On Osprechen Colton or the Book of Ibon. Either I was really hoping one of those two were going to be used. You know, we oh, talked well. about that too with the Beyond. Mm-hmm. Ibon. This is really like, oh, fuck. <laughs> You're yeah, fucked. Right? <laughs> You're fucked already. You're fucked. Yeah, it's over. You done fucked up. You fucked up, son. I mean, no, it would have been cool. It would have been awesome. All right, so here, here's what we can do. I've got to speed this up a little bit. Yeah, Maseritz, the older guy downstairs. We also learned, too, like he's been praying. That's also been keeping up Walter because, you know, he's like fucking knocking his head on the He's fu- fucking Monty Pythoning it. Yeah, like, what the That's fuck? That's all I can think of when... <laughs> Whenever somebody's doing that shit and praying and fucking ramming their head against something wooden, like, all I think Stop of it. is fucking Monty Python. Fucking, <laughs> Iesu Domine. <laughs> shit's funny, dude. Donais Requiem. I mean, that's basically what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So that has been established. But he reveals a little bit more to Walter. He lets him know... That he has helped the witch in killing infants, and he fears that the witch is using him, being Walter, to, you know, they're using him so that they can get the the baby Danny Mm -hmm. and their little ritual sacrifice, whatever the fuck is going on, right? So he feels ashamed. And because of this, he goes back upstairs and he starts to demolish, like, I guess the corner of the wall and all that stuff. And he right, gets well, in like, there. If, if it's all because of this angle, then let's just get rid of the fucking angle. Yeah. It's like, let's see what's behind it all this stuff. It shouldn't have been built like this in the first fucking Yeah, place. exactly. Well, and even in the book, it's mentioned that there's like some secret rooms that they've mm-hmm. boarded up behind the walls and all that shit that they don't want to have access to. So anyway, he finds like this chamber where it's a sacrificial room and that's where the witch is at. And she basically is like telekinetically controlling him. She has the baby. She wants him to use that dagger to kill Danny. He winds up nicking the baby. And then he starts to get a little bit of power for whatever, you know, however. He's like, I can't kill Danny. No, don't kill Danny. (laughs) (laughs) You can't kill me. I'm Danny. (laughs) You don't want to be a sacrifice. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, basically, right? (laughs) Shit. This episode proves it. So what he does instead is, like, they have a little wrestle. He drops a dagger. He winds up gouging her eyes and all that blood and gore. So there's a little bit of gore right there for you in case Mm -hmm. we missed it. Some pretty decent eye gouging. Anyway, what that leads to is uh, he strangles her then with the crucifix necklace that Mazarowitz gives him. Well, actually, he saves Danny at that point. They crash through the floor. Everything seems hunky-dory. He sets the baby down in his cradle. And he starts to nod off. And then he hears like a little chewing sound. And he looks over and the fucking rat is chewing on Danny's neck. <laughs> He's like, fuck this noise. I'm killing this baby. Oh, dude, it's fucked. <laughs> right? Because then, as all that madness is ensuing 
Fran is out there banging on the door and shit, and you can hear Walter inside crying. And, mm-hmm. You know, when the door opens, it's revealed that baby Danny has died, and it looks like he killed Walter him. killed him. Yeah, because he warned her earlier. Like he, I mean, we briefly mentioned it, but I totally glossed over the fact that he had mentioned earlier to her that because of his dreams, he feels like he's being possessed to try to kill mm-hmm. the baby, and he he needs her to get out. So that's why he wants to use the flower and all that shit. And that's when he gets dragged off after he sees whatever the hell's underneath. That's I think that's what leads to the the blood and all that stuff signing. Right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that makes more sense. Anyway, now he's at the mental hospital, right? He gets diagnosed. The psychologist is like, nah, he's paranoid schizophrenic. We're not gonna believe that story about this fucking rant and witch and all that other stuff. Right. Coincidentally, the CSI agent arrives with some forensic and some photographic evidence mm-hmm. that's like, well, we found a bunch of bones that were infantile, right? Dating back, I guess, as early as 30 years and as old as 300 years. So it can't be Walter. This guy. Right? And the also baby, some DNA that doesn't match anything that right, we know about. It's an animal, but it's an unknown species. We can't explain the DNA on this baby bite, right? So that can't be can't believe this story <laughs> like no one's gonna believe him right so as all that shit's transpiring we have Mazarvitz he's taken down all his crosses in his room put them in a box and at the same time you have Walter in his padded room starting to kind of like cry out and all this shit simultaneously Mazarvitz hangs himself as the rat is now eating himself inside out of Walter while the nurse and the psychologist from earlier are witnessing this, mm-hmm. the rat gets out and basically is like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Peace, Peace. Yeah, it like spooks another one, like, boo, spooks another one. And as that happens, Walter dies, Mazarvitz dies. The witch house now has a vacant room for rent. It pans on how we open the story with a room for rent, and that ends the story as told by Stuart Gordon in folks over at Showtime. But in the book, it's a li- I mean, it's similar. Yeah. Right? I mean, they still have, like, with he the pros. He doesn't end up in asylum, right? He, no. He gets at in in the apartment. Right. I can't remember all the details, but, yeah, it's, it's different. But in the pros, it kind of, once again, reveals the bones. And they actually found mm-hmm. uh, Kaziah, wasn't her name? Yeah. Mason? Like, found her. And bones. apparently Brown Jenkin. Yeah. So... Okay. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay. So there's some d- major differences. But what I was getting at with some of the trivia, like this is mm-hmm. why I wanted to save it till now, is in the 80s, Brian Usna and Stuart Gordon, Dennis Paoli, all these guys, they actually wanted it to do a real, you know, 90-minute at least full feature mm-hmm. for this. But instead they did it from beyond. Okay. Okay. So that's a part of why it wasn't made. But I guess because, you know, with Masters of Horror, the premise and the whole idea behind it was the directors that were chosen could do any story they wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, and like I'm assuming this is probably their chance. Hey, let's we got a chance to do it. We're doing on somebody else's dime. Mm -hmm. You know, here's the restrictions. Let's try to do it the best we can. That's the, the assumption I'm under. So, I mean, it's still not bad, but, yeah, it glosses over a lot of major things in the story itself. All right, trivia. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Roald Dahl's The Witches? 
Yes. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Kid that gets turned into a mouse. Bruno <laughs> Jenkins. Yeah. You think it's the kid? <laughs> Bruno. I believe the root name like derives from something related to Brown in German. Mm. It's Brown Jenkins. Like Braun. Yeah. That's funny, dude. What, what was that? <laughs> That's so funny, man. But yeah, I, I don't mind this like Masters of Horror episode. It's not the best episode. Not the worst. It's probably not the best adaptation of Lovecraft. You know, yeah. of all the stuff we've seen from Stuart Gordon up to this point. You know, but once again... It's still not bad. No, it's not bad. It just, you know, leaves out some details, man, that would help with probably a little bit more with the story crossover. If you're looking for a super accurate retelling, this isn't it. No, it's not. But if you're looking for something, though, that gets the point... Yeah. It gets straight gets to the, the point. point. It does. It gets straight to the point, but it leaves out some major stuff. More along the, like, the Lovecraft end. Mm-hmm. And the weird and this interdimensional is, shit. Yeah, this plays with the interdimensional stuff, but it's more from, like, the witch. Yeah. Just her. It has nothing to do beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, in that regard, it'd be neat to see if somebody ever does pick that up, like Cosmos. But there's, honestly, there's better Lovecraft stories to tell. Uh, right, 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 right. From what I understood, too, like, this was after he had written, uh, was it into the, is it Mountains of Madness, right? Well, at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, at, this is like after, right? And so he was a little bit of a, in a funk, Lovecraft that is, when he was writing this. Because it only took him, I guess, like two months. He wrote it from January through February of 32. Mm-hmm. And his buddy actually is the one who submitted it. it. Yeah. And-, and it was published in Weird Tales back in 1933, their July issue of it. So, you know, even he was like apprehensive about this story, Lovecraft that is, you know. So uh, that that tells you something, but that's another thing I kind of alluded to earlier. Like this was told more from a third person perspective, more so than from a you know a first person pers- like after the fact, a retelling of a story that had happened or transpired. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of interesting in that regard, I guess, in the mythos and how he was writing at the time. You know, it was a little bit more traditionalist, I guess, because they said, you know, he was introducing crucifixes to ward off witches and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit more traditional. (laughs) You know, why was he using that when he's got a whole fricking everything? Yeah. Yeah. Universe to play with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it seemed like he was probably having a little bit of self doubt after his, I don't know exactly how they, that story was received, you know, the mountain of madness. Oh, um, better than this one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but for whatever reason, he took it hard, you know, and like I said, this is kind of a, a result of it somewhat, but regardless, like I said, it's an interesting story. I think it's, you know, it's unique, I guess, in that regard. Trying to think if there's anything I haven't said about it that I wanted to. No, I just wanted to bitch a little bit about how it differs, but I get it ultimately. I Yeah. And it's fun. It's good still. I dug it. Yeah, no, I said it's a, like I said, it's a cool entry point too. And it's, you know, it's cool once again that, Stuart Gordon did it. I guess one last thing I want to mention before I end my little take on it is I read that our buddy there, Mr. Jeffrey Combs, was playing the role of Mazervitz but dropped out at the last minute. Oh. And that's why Campbell got the role instead. So I was like, ah, what could have been? But that's okay. I mean, the guy did a good job in that portrayal. Well, I mean, you mentioned uh, Mr. Dombrowski was in Watchmen, Mm -hmm. and I looked at it. 
and it's he's only credited as news vendor, and I'm like, nah, he can't be, because I fucking I love that that comic book too, and so I'm not gonna go deep into it, but if anybody knows the comic book, then that character is given a name, and so motherfuckers, he played Bernard, and so that's awesome. Like yeah. I was like, oh shit, he's Bernard. Oh, he is Bernard. So nice, hell yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know. That's about all I got on Dreams of the Witch House. Like, I, yeah. I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, once again, I think it's interesting that they allow the fact that the baby got it. Yeah. You know, you don't necessarily see that a lot. You know, you had fucking infant bodies dropping all over the place in fucking Masters of Horror. I know. I was like, this is not the first time we brought this up with baby deaths and all that nonsense. So we'll see what happens as we get through more <laughs> of them eventually in the future. Yeah, too. yeah. I mean, I've seen my fair share of episodes, but I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen my fair share. Do we for sure have any more baby deaths coming up? None that I can think. Well, maybe not for us coming up, but right. And the series. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I can't okay. say on what. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was about to say maybe, maybe not, but I know for sure there is. Okay. Okay. I want to percent enough for sure. There is. <laughs> Let's see, with that in mind, how much do we want to say about next week? We know what we're doing. Right. Well, we alluded to it last week that we're kind of doing a theme here. There's a reason why we did this particular episode, too. Are, are we going to tell them all of what we plan on start to do, or should we just tell them the, the, well, the movie? I think that might, might suffice for now. For just All right. Yeah, yeah. If you made it at the end of this, you want to know what we're doing next week. Another Stuart Gordon flick. Yeah, yeah little movie you may have seen it before called reanimator mm -hmm. i think i'm familiar sounds familiar yeah i think so mm. i'm looking around <laughs> so stuart gordon's reanimator is that one also hp lovecraft's reanimator i i want to say it is i could be wrong i don't remember for sure uh i don't know i wish i had some inspiration around me <laughs> <laughs> And I'm super fucking looking forward to it. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. I'm, since we talked about it, like, yeah, I'm excited, dude. And we'll have even more information next week as to how how special this is going to be <laughs> yeah. just going forward. So that's enough of me being fucking cryptic. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, we highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ats. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.